For over 45 years, Pensacola Christian College has set aside some time each spring semester for Bible conference. These days of concentrated study and preaching from the Word of God are a time of spiritual enrichment for our students, faculty and staff, and many others who join us for these services. We're pleased to welcome you to the PCC Bible Conference. I want to ask you a question. Ready? I know it's painful, but look up here. I want to ask you a question. How are you doing? Now, when I asked that question, if you immediately thought, what are you talking about? You're probably doing okay. Right? Now, some of you, I said, how are you doing? You immediately thought of something. Maybe you thought, how am I doing? You went, Meet my roommate and tell me how I'm doing. How about that? Now, maybe some of you are sitting there and you're thinking, well, I, I, don't, I don't know exactly what he's talking about. Maybe you're not single and in the dorm rooms. Maybe, maybe you're a young married couple. When you heard me say, how are you doing? I can imagine the wives immediately freezing up. She's tearing up a little bit. All of her life, she had dreamed of marrying the, the perfect man. And she's found out that the one she chose is not him. And she is tearing up and she is thinking he's actually a man. He's not, he's not my knight in shining armor. And the husband sitting next to her, he is sitting there and he too is thinking. And he's thinking, what are we going to have for lunch? Because <laughs> he's clueless. Because they're newly married. He doesn't know what's going on. Let's be honest, right? But then when I ask, how's it going, there's probably some folks that are sitting there and you're thinking, you know, we've been through the difficult times of marriage, or maybe you never got married, you don't have any prospects of marriage, but you're now in your adult life and, and you're looking at different things and you immediately began to think of a situation at work, or perhaps you began to think of a situation uh, within your family life or a situation within your physical plant, how you are doing your health, and you began to think about the weight I want to talk to you this morning, it kind of just fits right in with Brother Pope was talking about last night. We looked at the cross and he brought us there and we saw Jesus as he took the cup of God's wrath and he drank that for us. But we watched it last night as one of those who are redeemed, we were reminded of his goodness, of his mercy, of his love. But I'm going to take you to a different place this morning. I want you to try to imagine yourself as one of Jesus' followers who did not yet read the New Testament who had not yet learned, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice, who had not yet learned all of the truths of the gospel, and you were following Christ. You see, because there were some disciples who that day of crucifixion and the days that followed were faith-shattering days. Absolutely. And I want to talk to you about the Emmaus Road this morning. And I'm not here to talk to you about the Emmaus Road in the hopes that maybe you can avoid it, because you can't. There's no avoiding the Emmaus Road. There's no getting to the side or, or not getting to that point. In fact, some of you right now, you're on the Emmaus Road. You know the story, right? I remember all the way back into Sunday school and, and seeing the flannel graph, right? The, the two disciples who also looked like uh, the, the two fishermen and the two Old Testament prophets. We had a very small flannel graph. But these two people, they're walking down this road. And I remember in Sunday school, they're walking, they're complaining, they're, they're going back to Emmaus. Jesus shows up and says, hey, I'm alive. And their eyes are open and they're excited. And I remember thinking, well, that's kind of a neat story. It's kind of like Sunday school. Because somebody shows up, teaches the Bible, and then does a magic trick. Because that's how it ends. Right? 
Jesus opens their eyes and then poof, he disappears. And I thought, yeah, I can, I can understand that. I get that. But then as I got older, I realized what was happening on the Emmaus Road. And I want to look at this story anew. I want you to look at it with some fresh eyes. We're going to go through it and hopefully encourage you on what to do. Because you can't avoid the Emmaus Road. Some of you know what it means to have your faith shattered. It's not working out the way you thought. You've come to college, you've met other families, and their dads didn't treat you like your dad treated you. Their life isn't like your life. And you're questioning God, why? You're, you're around different things that you thought were gonna happen. You had, you had surrendered to God, and just like was sung, and we, we talked about the cost here, we listened to them sing about the cost and how it's the same, and we realized we're gonna follow Christ. And I'm not preaching this morning to those who are rebellious here. I'm not preaching to the ones who are here and don't wanna be here. I'm preaching to those that want God. You wanna understand what Christ has, and your shattered dreams have overtaken your heart. Or maybe they're screaming for your attention. We're gonna look at what happens here. And hopefully the Lord is going to use his word to strengthen and encourage each one of us to know how to walk and escape the Emmaus Road. Let's join our hearts together in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the precious gift of your Holy Spirit to instruct us. I pray that this morning you would direct us to truth. I pray that you would bind all distractions. I pray that you would make the delivery clear. And Lord, I pray for the thinking and the perception of the hearer. Lord, may they hear your voice. Lord, don't let them twist it into something other than what your truth says. Lord, we look forward to seeing the exceeding abundantly above in our service this morning. And we look forward to what you're going to continue to do in our lives. In the precious name of our Redeemer, your Son, we ask these things. Amen. We're going to step through this. Start with you, if you would please, there in verse 13. The Bible says, and behold, two of them. Now, who are these them? These are not just people that just kind of followed along. You know, when Jesus was there and he was performing the miracles and he was doing all of the different things, there were certain folks that showed up because he got a free lunch. There were certain people that showed up because they got to be healed. But these were not those people. This was the faithful remnant. These are the people that truly, honestly believed that Jesus was Messiah. These are not just come along. These are folks, they'd been in Jerusalem. They were there. They saw the scourging. They saw the beating. They saw him crucified. They saw him die. They saw him be buried. And they saw the empty tomb. And they are walking back. These are not lightweights, folks. These are people who surrendered to full-time service. Gentlemen, these are guys who thought that God had called them into this ministry. Ladies, these are individuals who said, you know what, I'm going to sacrifice, I'm going to go, and I'm going to work hard, and I'm going to get my degree so I can serve the Lord. These are not people who are floating along in life, and I want you to get that. These are not lightweights. These are not individuals who aren't trying. They are doing their very, very best. They knew the scriptures. Two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus. It's interesting. We don't know where Emmaus is. We don't know where the ruins of this place are. We just know that it's about 60 stadia, three square furlongs, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They lived there, we don't know. They were visiting there, we don't know, but they were headed to Emmaus. I think it's interesting, Emmaus, I think, really can kind of help us understand exactly what's going on because Emmaus isn't a place that you can go to, but it's a place that we all travel to. 
when we're ready to give up. And that's the two of them that were there. They were Pensacola Christian College graduates. They had their masters. They had a theology degree. They had been serving for years. They had been faithful. They had been waiting. And now they're on the road, verse 14. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. What things? Well, definitely everything that happened when they came to Jerusalem. Remember, just a week ago, Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. They're saying, Hosanna in the highest. They're throwing down palm leaves. The next day he goes into the temple and he absolutely controls the temple. I can see these, these two disciples. It doesn't tell us if it's two guys or a guy and a girl. We get one fellow's name, Cleopas. We don't know anything else. But I can see these fellows and these ladies, perhaps, as they're watching Jesus. He is shutting down the temple and they are just going crazy. They're like, look at this. Jesus is finally doing it. He's finally asserting control. And Jesus absolutely overtook the city of Jerusalem. He began to teach powerfully. They were talking about those things. And then I can see them as they're walking. And they said, how can you, how can you imagine that just a few days later, when the Romans would come to take and arrest him, he would say a word like Brother Pope said last night. And, and the whole troop is knocked all on the ground. But then they took him. And then they're talking back and forth. They go, hey, they took him and they... They had this crazy mock trial, shouldn't even happen. This is the one who could calm the seas. This is the one who could disappear out of the crowd at Nazareth. This is the one that can raise the dead. He could have done anything. Why didn't he stop this? He had stopped over and over individuals trying to come against him with wrong teachings about his word and Jesus didn't do it. He kept his mouth shut. I said, then the scourgings and the beatings and the death they're talking about these things and what happened? Folks, they were sad. Their dreams were shattered. We look at these two disciples like they were just kind of walking back. It's not what was happening. They didn't have a reason to keep going. They said, let's go back to Emmaus. And it came to pass that while they communed together, they're just walking and talking. This is a walking culture. This is how you get from place to place. They're heading to Emmaus, they're walking. Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Now you know the story, but if you didn't, you'd think, oh, this is gonna be good. Jesus is gonna show up and go. And they're gonna go, wow, get out. No way. And Jesus, he doesn't do that. He walks up to him. He says their eyes were holding. Well, this is passive. It doesn't mean that they were so dumb they couldn't find or see him. We all know that person, right? Couldn't find it if it bit them. This is not them. Jesus kept them from recognizing him. Their eyes were holding from him. So they're talking, they are depressed. They have probably voiced anger. They've probably gotten mad. They said, why didn't he do this? And how come this? And, they're, and then they turned to crying. I thought he was the one that was gonna redeem Israel. What's going on? I don't get it. And they're going back and forth and they're talking. Then all of a sudden they notice this person's walking with them. And they look at him and they don't recognize him. And he said unto them, look at 17, what manner of communication are these that you have one to another as you walk in are sad? Now I know this sounds very biblical and very King James. He said, this doesn't sound very conversational. Jesus would not have been quoting the King James when he came to them. What manner of conversation are these? What would he have said? What are you guys talking about? What's up? What's going on? Why are you so hot and bothered? What's the problem? And these two are incredulous. Look, one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem? 
Hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? These guys are talking about stuff that everybody knows about. This is common knowledge. This is not hidden stuff. And they look at him and go, what? What? Do you not know what we're talking about? Did you just crawl out from under a rock? How do you not know what's happening here in Jerusalem? And everything that's gone out. And still you would have thought that Jesus at this time would have gone, I do know. But he doesn't. He looks at him. Look at it, verse 19. And he said, what things? That's a tough thing. I do this to my wife sometimes. She says, sweetheart, we need to clean up the house. What house? We just need to clean all the stuff up. What stuff? Put your clothes in the hamper. We have a hamper? And, and, and Jesus says, what things? He's trying to draw something out of them. Jesus, the master teacher, he knows. They need to come to a realization. And so he says, what things? And they said unto him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth. This brings us to point one. I want you to see the heartbreak at Emmaus. The heartbreak at Emmaus. And I want you to see what they said. And these things that they say, folks, get this. They were all true. This was not some false doctrine. They hadn't been out reading some crazy book. They weren't listening to some TV evangelist. Everything they are about to say is absolutely 100% true. They said, listen, Jesus of Nazareth was a prophet. He was a prophet. He was more than a prophet. But he did speak forth the word of God. He was a prophet. Mighty indeed. They started telling him he walked on the water. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He healed the lepers. He did things unbelievable. Miracle after miracle after miracle. He was mighty indeed. Not just mighty indeed, he was mighty in word. He didn't teach like the scribes. He taught as one that had authority. When Jesus spoke, people were changed. This Jesus was a prophet. He was mighty indeed. He was mighty in word. And it was before God and the people, which meant he lived a righteous life. It wasn't some kind of huckster. Paul said we didn't come with cunningly devised fables, and Jesus didn't do that either. Jesus didn't come and try to trick people. He taught them God's word, and he lived righteously before God and the people. Jesus is still listening to him. And then you start to see the heartbreak, verse 20. And the chief priests, and I want you to hear the pain in their voice. And our rulers, not Rome, our rulers. It wasn't some stranger. It was our rulers. It was our chief priests. It was other Jews. It was people that shouldn't have done this. Our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death. And not just any death, crucifixion. They crucified him. See, crucifixion was not just a simple death as Brother Pope painted last night. It was a death meant to stamp out any followers and anything that that person was teaching. So it wasn't just removed off the face of the earth. It was crucified. They're saying truth. Look at it. Verse 21. But we trusted that had he which should redeem Israel. Beside this, today, today, it's the third day. They knew that Jesus had taught that he was going to raise from the dead. For months, ever since Caesarea Philippi, Jesus Christ had been teaching. He's going to go. He's going to die. He's going to rise again. Remember Thomas? They knew he was going to die. He said, let's go to Jerusalem. Good old Thomas. We've all got one of those friends. Great, let's go. Let's all die. 
And so they go, Jesus had been teaching he was going to die and he was going to rise again. And Cleopas and the other disciples said, and you know what, beside all this, here is the third day, nothing. And then they say something amazing. They say, yeah, certain women, verse 22, certain women of our company made us astonished. They shocked us. They said they went to the temple and when they found not his body, they, they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels that said he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher, found it even as the women had said, but they saw him not. We heard this story. Some people went and they saw, yeah, there's an empty tomb and they say they were angels. And you can see the emotion has absolutely overtaken them and this heartbreak has broken them down. And you have to get this. They did not know the plan of salvation. They had a different plan. The Messiah was going to come. He was going to throw off the yoke of Rome and they were going to be free of their oppressors and be able to live their life. They thought the Messiah was a governmental ruling Messiah. And they were disappointed. And there are so many times in our lives, folks, we think this is going to happen and it doesn't happen. Nobody thinks their child is going to die. Nobody thinks their spouse is going to cheat on them. Nobody thinks their relative is going to abuse them. Nobody thinks their good friend is going to steal from them. Nobody thinks their church is going to split. Nobody thinks their job is going to disappear. Nobody thinks their body is going to turn against them and try to kill them. Nobody dreams of these things. And these disciples said, I can't take it. We see the heartbreak at Emmaus, but I want you to see they knew truth. They understood it. They endured shame. They put up with the crucifixion. And I want you to get this. Get this. Listen. They didn't cut and run. They were there three days. They thought they were giving Jesus the time that he needed to do what they thought he was going to do. They did not run away. But they were still broken. Why? Because of our second point. The Emmaus mistake. Did you see the mistake in verse 21? Look at it. But we trusted you see, my hope was this. I thought I needed a spouse to make me happy. I thought God was going to give me children. I thought my children were going to rise up and call me blessed. I thought this. I thought this. I thought this. And the Emmaus mistake was, listen, I have taken God's word and I have changed it to meet what I want. And folks, can I tell you something? This is not something that happens intentionally. These disciples were followers of Christ. They did not wake up and say, we want to rebel. They simply got off track. And it happens. And I'm talking to a room full of people, some of you that's happened to. Your dreams have been shattered. God hasn't held up his promises. You've made that Emmaus mistake. You have superimposed your will over God's. Well, what is... The answer, I want you to see the third point, the Emmaus escape. How do we get out of this? It's interesting. Jesus Christ at any point could have just revealed himself and said, hey, hey, relax. Everything's good. And there are so many times and there are so many, and I'm not picking on any message or any preacher. And there are so many things as I was growing up, I heard sermons about, but God and all of this and how God can in the last second enter in and how when you get thrown in the fiery furnace, they'll walk around with you in the fire and how he'll calm the storms and all these things. And I thought, okay, God's, I'm just waiting on him for God. He's going to come in. He's going to work it out. He's going to take care of it. And he didn't. He didn't. I thought, wait a minute, but God, he's supposed to step in. Why is he letting this happen? It's not fair. It's not right. 
And God could have just stepped in and said, okay, here's what we're going to do. But the Lord is going to teach us how to deal with this. And I want you to get this. This is the main thrust of the message this morning. Get this. He does basically three things. We almost would think it was cruel for Jesus to keep their eyes from seeing him. They are hurting, they are crying, they are weeping. And he does not go, hey, it's me, it's okay. He doesn't come to him and say, everything gonna be all right. Don't worry, be happy. He doesn't do that. I want you to see what he does. The first thing he does, he asks him a question. He says, what manner of things are you discussing in this communication? What things are you talking about? Here's the question he asks, write this down. What are you upset about? What are you upset about? Now, here's what happens. They start explaining this things that are upset, and I want you to understand. They start talking. They start with truth. He was a prophet, mighty in word, mighty in deed. He was going to do this. He was going to do this. He was going to accomplish all these things. Wonderful things were going to happen. Hey, you're doing good. Jesus is listening. Hey, listen, I, I thought that he was going to redeem Israel. Let me ask you a question. Was Christ going to redeem Israel? Non-rhetorical. Is part of Christ's plan to redeem Israel? Yeah. Were they wrong about that? No. But see, it didn't happen in their timetable. You know what Christ was doing? Christ was trying to get them to understand something that most of us do not yet understand. That our feelings are a direct result of our beliefs. Feelings are real, folks. This, this idea that you can just power on I just need some more caffeine. I can make it through the day. I can just do one more. You can't. Let me tell you something. You're going to come to the end of that. Now, some of you college students, you don't know what it's like to not have energy. The only time you don't have energy is when you're in this building and some old man is talking. <laughs> then the energy is sapped out of your body. But all the rest of the time, you can go, go, go. You have no idea what it's like. But the reality is that these feelings are based in what you believe and they are real and they are there to help you understand what you believe. And Jesus says, what are you upset about? And they start with truth, but do you know where they end? They end with, and it's the third day and he didn't rise, he lied. You see what we do folks, we read and we study scriptures through the grid of our sins our desires, our ambitions, our dreams. And then we go to God's holy word and then we arrive at our idea of what his will and his kingdom and my life is supposed to be. And we highlight the scriptures we love. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Amen. My God will never leave you or forsake you. Amen. All things work together for good. Amen. Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities. Oh, well, Paul is lying there because nobody can be happy about their body falling apart. Nobody can be happy about being picked on. And Jesus said, what? What is the problem? And they started with, here's the truth, and they ended with, Jesus lied to me. Let me tell you something. Jesus does not work through depression. He does not work through anger. He does not work through fear. He does not work through hopelessness. And when those things are a part of your life, it is because there is a false belief who has invaded your theology and is demanding your worship. 
And Jesus says, what are you upset about? And then he starts to come in with the second part of the cure. So the first part of the cure, find out, what's upset? What's upsetting you? What's the problem? What's the second part? And again, here's Jesus. He's not going to quench the smoking flax. He's not going to break the bruised reed. This is the balm of Gilead. This is the tender Savior. This is the loving Lord. And he looks at them and says, oh, fools. And slow of heart to believe. Hey, foolish dummies, listen. Be honest, teachers, how many times have you wanted to step into your class and say that? All right, bell's wrong, foolish dummies, have a seat. But Jesus is kind. I could never pull this off. I would never even try if somebody came into my church and said, Pastor, it's not working out. Oh, fool. Nope. And here's the amazing thing. Jesus said, you're a fool, in verse 25, and you're slow of heart to believe. What's that next word? Say it. All. All. You see earlier, the disciples said to Jesus, don't you know all the things that happened? And Jesus now is looking at them going, don't you know all the things I've said? And then incredulously, he says, the Messiah was supposed to die. The Messiah had to suffer. This had to happen. He said in verse 26, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? So the first thing, what's the problem? What are you feeling? What are you upsetting? What are you upset about? The second what does scripture say? Look in your Bibles. Verse 27 says, the beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Now we know later that when he does this, their hearts begin to burn within them. As he begins to explain scripture and still Jesus is not revealing who he is. This is some stranger who's just walking along. Hey, why are you guys sad? What, are you a moron? Don't you know what's going on in Jerusalem? Hey, are you morons? Don't you know everything the Old Testament says? And then he starts taking them through. I would love to take you through the Old Testament, but I'm going to miss everything. Who knows? Brother, Brother Raymond Barber may be quoting it for us in a couple minutes. Just telling us everything about Jesus. But Luke doesn't tell us what he says. He just says, Jesus went to the scripture. The first thing is, what are you upset about? The second thing is, what does scripture say? Do you know what scripture says? Not do you know what Pastor Redland says about the scripture, or do you know what Dr. Johnny Pope says about the scripture, or do you know what your favorite author says about the scripture, but have you heard God's voice yourself? There is no reason for you to sit here and have to depend on anybody else. You have the Holy Spirit to teach you everything that Jesus said. And let me ask you a question. If you had a favorite meal, what would you rather do? Me eat it and tell you what it tastes like? Or you eat it? Think about that. I love a good preacher. I love listening to Brother Pope last night. But it's nothing like jumping into God's word yourself. Jesus says, what are you upset about? Number two, what does scripture say? And then I want you to see the third thing. Look at this. Verse 28, and they drew nigh into the village whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. Here's the third thing. Jesus says, what are you upset about? What does scripture say? And then number three, now that you know what scriptures say, what are you going to do? Jesus is walking with them. He's teaching. They get to Emmaus. They're going to stop, and Jesus keeps walking. And it says they constrained him. 
This is not the, uh, oh, please don't go. This is standing in front of them, holding them, saying, no, no, come with us. And I believe that Jesus did this to give the disciples a choice. You have gotten this truth. What are you going to do? And you know what the disciples were saying right there? We're going to stick with this. We're not going back down this sad road. They say, come in. Now, for time, I can't go through, I can't detail the rest of it, but they go in, and Jesus is the guest. And they constrain him. They say, please come into the house. Jesus goes in the house. As the guest, he should have been waiting. I remember they're at the table. They're reclining. He's on an elbow. And usually the guest is going to wait for the host to break the bread. But Jesus takes the position of host. He breaks the bread. And then after breaking the bread, he says, here I am. And they see him. And then he disappears. And do you know what the amazing thing is? Most of us. If we would have found that Jesus was with us and then we realized who he was and then he disappeared, we would have thought, oh, I wish I would have known early. These guys look at each other and go, yep, dead in our hearts, yeah. Yep. Oh, man. And then they jumped up and ran seven miles back to Jerusalem. Get this. Same road. Israel's still not redeemed from Roman oppression. Do you know the only thing that's changed in their life? Is they've left Emmaus. They've taken the time to find out what their false hope was. They've compared it to scripture. And then they've said, God, I take you. I choose what you say. Let me tell you something. It's not easy. It is hard to choose to believe that all things are all things. Because there are some things that are so hurtful. To think about them is difficult. And there are some memories that want to overtake your life. But Jesus says, what are you upset about? What does scripture say? What is your choice? And folks, I beg you, you may be in Emmaus. That's your way out. You may be on the road to Emmaus. Or it's possible, because we've got a lot of young people in here. You may be clueless. It may still be the first day Jesus is coming in. Palm trees are still, palm trees, palm leaves are still getting thrown down on the ground. And you may just think, man, life is wonderful. All my teachers are awesome. My bills are paid. My body works. Life is good. What are you old men talking about? But one day... <laughs> That was a knowing laugh right there, wasn't it? <laughs> now I'm on the road to Emmaus right now. <laughs> but can I tell you, Emmaus is a place Christ does not want you to go. He has provided the escape. And I pray that now you will never dwell, but you will escape from Emmaus, from the crushing weight of customized Christianity that you will find out what it is that your hope is, that you have pinned, that is dogging you, that is demanding your worship, that you will find out what God's word says, and that you'll choose what he offers. You've been listening to a Bible conference message from Pensacola Christian College. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. 
For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.